This is a podcast from the Women's Conference Flourish 2012 held in Guernsey. Please feel free to listen to the other sessions. Sorry, I hope you had had a great lunch and caught up with old friends and maybe made some new connections because the power of connection is really important. And that's why days like today are important, that we gather together and we encourage each other. And one person who's really encouraged us so far today is Ariana, and she's going to come and share with us again now. So let's welcome her back. Thank you. These four here were written by Nancy Alcorn and together with uh, some of the girls who went through the program in America and they really sort of used their stories and some of their experiences to help with some practical principles of how to overcome some of these things. Now these are worth not just buying for you or if you're dealing with it or you know someone, this is for you to equip yourself with. There's great chapters for you just to have an understanding of what um, goes through the mind of someone who would need to use these sorts of coping mechanisms to even get through a day. And I think for some of us, we, we live so far removed from that kind of thing that it can seem like a whole different world. And how, how are we going to be an army rising up if we don't know where the war is, if we don't know where the battle is being fought? So we need to educate ourselves and empower ourselves to really have a better understanding of what our society is facing nowadays. Now, these are all written from a Christian perspective. Um, they wouldn't be the kind of thing you'd give to your friend at work just because they are so Christian in their essence and in their content. So we've got Cut, which is Mercy for Self-Harm, Trapped, which is Mercy for Addictions, Starved, Mercy for Eating Disorders, and, oh, that's Cut, is uh, Violated, which is Mercy for Sexual Abuse. I don't if it should be there. I don't know how I picked up two of the same. There you go. That's what happens when you do stuff in a rush. And then there is also the Mirror Image that Gems just talked about. Um, this book, it's a bit disappointing really that it's only 114 pages because it's kind of got everything I know in it. <laughs> so it took me two and a half years to write because I was writing it at, in like half an hour blocks in the time that I had available at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning um, because God told me to because that is the only reason why I would ever write a book. And uh, when it was done I was, uh, and it came and it was printed in a book, I was like, seriously? Seriously, 114 pages, are you kidding me? (laughs) But anyway, there you go. I I am nothing if not succinct. So um, this this book really started from me meeting a girl many years ago at the start of my Mercy experience when we first started going out on the road and talking to people about Mercy. It was a girl, she was 17 years old, and she came to me and she said, I've got an eating disorder. And uh, she said, I hate what I see when I look in the mirror. So I said to her, well, what do you see when you look in the mirror? And she said, I see a fat and ugly girl who is worth nothing. And just at that moment, as she was answering me, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you need to tell her that she's looking in the wrong mirror. And out of that conversation came uh, a revelation for me in my own life, because most of these things just happened with me first. And um, how I realized and God showed me how all the different mirrors I'd looked in to find my own identity and how we are so often like the man in James who it says in James 1 uh, 22 it says that 
the man who doesn't, who hears the word but doesn't do what it says is like the man who looks at himself in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. And so many of us forget what we look like. We might look in the word for a second or for a moment and read it and go, oh yeah, I get that. And then we walk away and all the old stuff, the old distorted reflections come back to tell us that we actually look like this. And it's not about our physical, necessarily our physical body. It's uh, a lot to do with the mirror of our past. One of them is the rearview mirror, which is a mirror of our past. One of the mirrors that I spoke to this morning about dare to bear, that, that mirror is what I've called in the book, I've called it the, the dressing room mirror, where we put on our face, where we put our makeup on before we go and do the performance. Then there's the mirror of the dance hall studio mirror, which is the one where we look at our own life and compare to everybody else's. So you see the whole picture of everyone else in the frame as well. There's the, the uh, shop window, which is the, the mirror of the suddenly. You think everything's going well and then suddenly a curveball comes and what do you do then? The things that you thought were going to happen didn't happen. All the things that you thought never would happen did. And then you're left feeling like, well, where was God in all of that? So that's another reflection that you can find your identity in based on your circumstances rather than based on who God says you are. So um, there's just a few every chapter is a different mirror so that's there as well and I'll tell you about these cards in a minute so I love the way God sets stuff up um, this morning when I was talking about the masks and I mentioned Esther and then we've had a whole session on Esther and I will talk a bit more about Esther in a little while and, and that's just been something that the whole message of today about being you about being real that where you are at the life you are leading is enough it's enough that the army that's rising up is made out of ordinary people. That's, the God knows that. It's okay. We don't have to be super women, super men. We don't have to wear our pants on the outside with a cape for us to be identified as people that God would use. God will use you right where you're at. And I want to explore that a little bit because for me, I, I was brought up in a Christian home. I was five years old when I first became a Christian. My dad, I grew up listening to my dad preach. I was actually brought up in Holland. And uh, my parents also worked for Open Doors. I don't know if any of you have heard of Open Doors. So I was actually used as a cover story to me and my brother. We were a happy little family going, traveling around Eastern Europe back in the day when it was had an iron curtain I never really understood as a child what the iron curtain was I do remember going and looking for the iron curtain but never found it but we went behind the iron curtain and traveled all around Eastern Europe smuggling Bibles in our camper van which of course at seven six seven eight years old I didn't know uh, so we we would do that for most of our summers I was brought up having had a great experience of life not perfect this, uh, you know like all of us there's things we have to overcome there's disappointments there's hurts there's um, you know just challenges and trials of life that I've had to overcome just like everyone else but I got to a point in my life where I was married I had two little children uh, we were really settled and, and I would have said that you could look at my life and say it was a perfect advert for Christianity. Great marriage, great church, great life, just enjoying everything that Christianity could offer to me. And yet, deep inside myself was, was, was a sense of a lack of purpose. I felt like something was missing, that I was just not quite getting it. There was something I was missing out on and I couldn't work out what it was because I was, I was seeing fruit in my life, but not anything... There was just something not quite there. And I couldn't work it out. It took me a long time. I remember praying and asking God and praying about it. And then he took me on a little journey. 
that I'm going to take you on in the next half hour or so that really changed my entire um, view of what our life is and should be like as Christians. And so one of the first uh, scriptures I'm going to take you to is Ezekiel 34. And uh, I'm going to, uh, it's, it's funny to start with this one because it starts with the word woe. I always think it's a bit of a, a heavy word to start with. So please forgive it. It's in the Bible. It starts with woe. <laughs> so, but it's all right. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You might, you know, you, you might be in here thinking that that scripture, even with its woe, is aimed at people who wear a badge. It's aimed at people who have a microphone. It's aimed at people who lead churches, who are in positions of leadership in life and in church and in ministry. But I wasn't in any of those areas when I read this scripture. And yet I felt such a challenge from the Holy Spirit to say to me that there is more to my Christian life than being successful. There is being useful. And that I could not be, and you could not be, any of us in this room cannot become people for whom Christianity is all about the things it can give to us. The benefits of Christianity, of freedom and wholeness and eternity and, 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 and intimacy with God, those are all incredible things that we can't just take all the benefits of Christianity and not have any of the responsibility that goes with it. Because with those things, with those gifts, come a responsibility to be a person who passes that on. To be a person who grows more in your life than roses. Which is what I saw when I looked at my life and God said to me what are you growing and I said uh, I saw a very clear picture of a field full of roses and God said to me they look good and they smell good but they don't feed anybody and that was what was missing in my life I had spent a lot of time a lot of effort a lot of cultivating and I'd pulled up lots of weeds there was no condemnation in these words from God there was no sense of, of, of disappointment from him or telling off from him it was a challenge to rise higher it was a challenge to say okay you've been growing stuff but look at what you're producing you're producing things that look good and smell good but don't feed anybody so all that effort you're putting into producing this great life isn't benefiting anyone other than yourself and so I, he took me to a scripture in Hebrews and it talks about um, it's Hebrews 6, 7 verse 6 and it talks about a land that drinks in the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whom it's farmed will be blessed you know and that's what God said to me he said I am drinking rain from heavens on your life and he's doing that for all of us it's available to all of us but what should come out of that should be crop that's useful to those for whom it's farmed and in the message bible in Romans it says this it makes the point much kinder than it does in Ezekiel he says those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us strength is for service not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? 
In other words, we need to become people who see beyond the borders of our own field, see beyond the borders of our own um, life, and look to see where we can help and where we can lend strength, however little that might seem to us. You know, I've learned over the years that the strength I've built up isn't, ca- cannot be about just doing what's most convenient for me. You know, I've learned that it costs in time, it costs in prayer, it costs in tears, it costs in money, it costs on every level that I can imagine emotionally, physically, the tiredness. To build something like Mercy Ministries, to, to pour out your life for the benefit of other people costs severely. But it never ever feels that way. It feels like with that sense of sacrifice comes an incredible blessing attached to it. That God just keeps pouring more stuff on your life, more nutrients, more cultivation, more rain just keeps coming into your life as you grow stuff because that's how he works. You know, I think that... um, One of the best examples that God gave me to help me work out how to move from being a person who was growing a successful life to being a person who would grow a useful life was by using a little, I did a little brainstorm exercise and and I had at the top of one I had ornament and at the other one I had vessel. And I looked at what the difference between an ornament and a vessel in the kingdom of God would look like. And what the characteristics were of ornament thinking and of the thinking and the purpose of a vessel life. And I found that actually, for me, where I was at at that time, many years ago, before mercy came around for me, um, that I was actually had very much trapped in an ornament thinking in my head, um, in church life, in my day-to-day life. And one of the first things that I discovered about ornaments is that they are risk averse. Ornaments aren't built to be thrown about. Ornaments um, want to remain intact. They're there to be looked at. They're there to be put on a shelf and be taken care of. They do not want to be thrown about. I know this because I have two boys, a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old, who insist on playing football inside, mainly because it's raining outside most of the time in Bradford. And I guess it here too from yesterday. You know, they, they, um, ornaments, I, in fact, I don't have any ornaments in my house now that I care about. They are all stacked in the loft in a nice box for when my children leave home. I'll take out all those things that I liked and didn't want to be broken and put them back on my shelf. But you see, that's what, ornaments are very, very, um, concerned with what people think very concerned with their image are they doing the right thing at the right time with the right people will people think well of them is this in keeping with what my behavior should be like as a christian and so ornament thinking becomes very aware of that you know in galatians 1:10, it says am i trying to win the approval of men or of god or am i trying to please men if i was still trying to please men i would not be called a servant of christ that's really strong language to not be called a servant doesn't mean you're not going to be a child of Christ you're not going to be loved by God you're not going to be cared for by it doesn't say anything it's about being a servant if you want to be a servant of Christ then one of the things you're going to have to get over in fact the main thing you will need to conquer is, the, is our inherent need to people please 
to find approval from those around us, to do what we think we ought to do, what's expected from us, to go against the flow of whatever else is going around in our culture, in our church culture, in our small group culture, at work, at school, at college, to go against the flow of other people is something we have to build inside ourselves if we ever want to reach beyond our own life. Because God will always ask us to step out of the circle of approval of people because people are people and people are fickle. And if you are the kind of person who likes yourself when people like you, then you're going to find it a very difficult little journey with yourself because you'll like yourself one day and not the next because that's how people are. You know what I love about a vessel? Is that a vessel, a vessel is used by God, whereas an ornament is used by people. It's, it's you know, a people pleaser. Someone who people pleases is used by people. You know, vessels are purpose-driven. Their very core of their DNA is the, the reason why they're made as a vessel is that they carry something, that they do something, that there's pers- that's purpose attached to it. You know, if you change from being an ornament type person and and spending your life so concerned with people's opinions and and you go on that journey to becoming a vessel then you will go through that journey of realizing that your value of who you are rests entirely in what Christ says about you not what your past says about you not what your parents have said about you not what your husband has said about you not what your kids have said about you not what your church leader has said about you none of the things that people have said or done or how they've treated you can ever determine how Christ sees you he died for you on the cross your value is set not by, why, not by who you are but by who he is and so therefore we have to release ourselves from that tie it's like, it's like we go through life with all these, these hooks into all the people who we do life with and we try and drag ourselves into the purposes of God carrying everybody else with us and that is not what God said God did not say that we were running a race against everyone else we're in a one man race it's you and him and the race isn't, are you going to get there first? The race isn't, are you going to bring everyone else with you? The race is, are you going to even last to the end? Are you going to get there? And those of us who are so tied to everyone else's opinion and everyone else's thoughts of us, well, you will find yourself doing a three-legged race. You will tie yourself with a scarf around the leg of the... I don't know if you ever did this at school where you had to do a three-legged race. That you, can't, you cannot go anywhere fast when you have got yourself tied up with anyone else. And yet we do it all the time. We may not do it physically, but we do it in our emotions and in and the way we respond to what they say or what we think they're saying, which is even worse. <laughs> the second characteristic of ornament thinking is um, that they... Uh, that they oh, yeah, I've kind of mixed them up a bit, so I'll just carry on. They, uh, the risk-averse side of it is that uh, an an ornament doesn't want to step out of their comfort zone. So you don't want to um, risk that whole sense of failure. We all feel failure. We don't like getting it wrong. We just don't. We, We like to be thought well of. And so if you put yourself out there, if you step out, it's a bit like what I talked about this morning with the masks. If you have that performance mentality or the inadequacy mask, then, then an ornament thinking can kind of catch on in that as well and say, you know, don't do that, don't step out of there because don't get out of the boat 
like Peter did, because you're going to drown. You're not going to make it. You don't have what it takes. So don't go and start that after-school club. Don't go and start that coffee morning with all those mums who are at school and have got no one to talk to. Don't go and do... Because no one's going to come anyway. No one's going to... You're going to... You can't organise anything. You couldn't even organise a, a shower party for your friend who got married. You know, so you start thinking of all the reasons why you shouldn't invest in doing something out of the ordinary and doing something that takes you outside of your comfort zone. And if you're finding those things coming up in your life, then you can mark them as their own, that's ornament thinking. That's thinking of a person who, does, who wants to stay on the shelf and just stay safe and not have to be knocked about and not have to risk getting broken or damaged or you want to stay intact so you want to stay on the shelf. And in Matthew 25... Verse 14, it tells the story, uh, it's a parable of the three, of the three guys who had all were given talents. Um, and I actually think that it should be called the, the parable of the, two, of the two vessels and an ornament. Because two of them were given talents, I think it was ten, five and one, I think. Um, see, I'm not a theologian. Ten talents, five talents and one talent. So the one with ten and the one with five, off they go. And what do they do? They invest of what was given them to increase what they do. It's the, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. So they gave out of what they had in order to increase the fruitfulness, which is the exact same thing that God is asking us to do, each and every one of us. Whatever it is you've got, if it's five, if it's ten, if it's one, there's a demand on our life to increase it. It says go and be fruitful. That's our commission. Go and make disciples. It's not go and get a, go and live a great Christian life. It's go and make disciples. Go and increase. Go and and reproduce, go and invest out there because there's people dying but if we get so caught up with what that's going to cost us, what we might go through in order to get there we might be embarrassed, we might knock on someone's door to offer them to do some shopping and be kind and they might shout at us for being nosy, you know all the things that we go through, those are the kind of things that stop us doing that and we get afraid, like the guy who only had one talent, who was so afraid of losing what he had of failing and not being left with anything that he buried it and the master came back and was angry with him not because he was you know a fool or whatever it was because he he didn't have the courage to to give the even the little he had he didn't understand the concept that it isn't about you it's not about what you have it's not about keeping what little you have it's about investing it so that it grows because when god gets involved then that little boy that was you mentioned the little boy can you imagine what it would have been like if the little boy with the, with the, with the lunchbox would have gone, well, this isn't, this isn't going to feed 5,000 people. Like, why should I give? The little I have is never going to make any difference to anybody, so why should I give it away? Because the risk is, the risk here, ornament thinking would have said, okay, the risk is I give this away, and all I've got is, is a crumb. Like, right now, I've got a whole meal that's going to fill me. But if I give this away, this tiny little bit of lunch, if I give that away, then what I'm left with is a crumb and I'll go hungry. And so we fear because if it goes... But you see, a vessel says, ah, I've got some lunch. And a vessel has the kind of relationship and trust relationship we've got that goes, well, it's not enough for 5,000. It's only enough for me, but I know in the hands of a miracle maker, in the hands of an almighty God, the little bit I have can be multiplied. And not only will I have a meal, but everyone in this entire, as far as the eye can see, will get fed as well. 
And there are so many more people on the other side of our sacrifice, on the other side of our willingness to step out of our need to hang on to the little we have. And we can, if we can foster a generosity in us, then what you'll find is that God is absolutely obligated. It is a law, sowing and reaping. He will return it to you. Yeah. 30, 100 fold, whatever. You will never go without. You will sometimes feel like you go without, but you never ever will. He is no man's debtor. So don't fear that risk that's attached to giving what you have to others, to investing the talents and the skills and the heart that God has given you. Don't don't fear letting it break for what breaks God's heart. There's an amazing line in a song that we sing. I don't know if you guys sing it. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. That is the words. Those words are sung by people who are vessels. They say, my heart's not my own. It's yours. And if you want to break it for what breaks your heart, then do it. I, I will feel the pain of what it... I will allow you, God, to show me what it looks like to be there not that you have to go through it yourself understand it's that you can reach out to someone because the love you have received from God you are able to invest into others so the third characteristic of ornament thinking is that ornaments they value their comfort above sacrifice again I've I've just already talked a bit about it but The example that I want to show you is of Queen Esther, who had every reason to be an ornament. In fact, she was an ornament. She would be what you would call a trophy wife. The king wanted to put her on a pedestal and have all the land. That's why he searched the whole land for the most beautiful girls. You know, but what I love about Esther is that it was her character that set her apart. You see, every one of those 400 girls was beautiful. They all had the same things going for them. They all had pretty faces and great figures and whatever else the king was looking for. Every one of those 400 girls had that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been picked in the first place. However, Esther caught his heart. Why? Not because she was prettier than any of the others. It's because she had a character that stood out. She had something about her. She was a vessel, not an ornament. She, didn't, she, she took it upon herself to serve the king. And we know this because it says in the, in the story that, the, that she went, when she, it was her turn to go before the king, the um, unit that was looking after her, the guy in charge of making sure that all the girls had what they needed, he told her, because he knew the king very, very well, he told her what she should wear, how she should behave. She had the humility about her to, to listen to voices of experience and wisdom that God had placed around her. She didn't go in going, oh, well, I'm going to beat all of you girls. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't an episode of America's Top Model where they're all in fight and a scream. She had this incredible ability just in her humility and in her character to allow the God side of her, that gentle spirit to show through so that that's what caught the king's eye. Don't for a second think that she got to where she was because of her physical looks. It was because of her character. And that is what each and every one of us are going for us. It's our character.
character that will set us apart from every other person out there. Every organisation that's doing a great work. I love them to bits. Every charity, Oxfam, you name it. They're doing great stuff. But I know one of the things that sets Mercy Ministries apart is our heart to have Jesus at the centre of everything we do. It's like a beacon that goes out. And and I know this because everybody who comes to visit us just leaves going, there's something different here. There's something. And it's God. We can make, we can have all the right tick boxes of of organisations. But the thing that sets us apart is Christ. And that's what sets you apart. You can have every little, all of your ducks in a row. You can have all your, you can have all the right furniture in your house. You can be driving the right kind of car. You can have the right kind of job. But what will set you apart from everyone else is your character. It's who do you serve? Are you serving yourself? Are you building yourself a nice life? Or are you a vessel that gets called for greater purposes? Who, the main purpose for all of us is to impact as many people for the kingdom as possible. And even if it's one at a time, it doesn't have to be 2,000 people in a room that you get to speak to. No, it's one at a time. It's your neighbour who needs to go to hospital and she's scared. It's, it's the woman across the road who's got three kids and her husband's just left her. It's, it's the one in the, in the school playground who everybody hates and talks about and gossips about because she seems to be, you know, queen of the playground. You know, it's the ones who, if you have the eyes to see beyond the surface, God will use you time and time and time again. If you have this vessel mentality of, well, if I fail, I fail. If I'm embarrassed, if I say the wrong words, that's fine. I'll just go in and I'll allow God to use my everyday normal life for his kingdom to reach more people. You know, for me personally, the time when God called me to step outside of, of my comfort zone, but also to give up, to kind of sacrifice rather than have comfort. Because that's another kind of um, vessel mentality, is that a vessel was prepared to make the sacrifice. And um, my sister, Debbie, she's 10 years younger than me. And when she was 15 years old, we just moved, me and my husband, we just moved into this lovely house. We were so blessed. It shouldn't have happened. It was a miracle. We'd got this beautiful three-bedroom detached house in a nice place in Bradford. And we, we were so happy and so blessed and just praying, thank you, God, for this. We're so grateful for this. Everything we have is yours, Lord. By the way, it's very dangerous to pray to pray. Just so you know, God hears all of our prayers. And he assumes that when we pray them, we're telling the truth. So, everything we have is yours, Lord. We prayed. And not long after that, my parents rang and my sister had for a few years been in a really difficult place. She was very rebellious. She'd been uh, missing school. She'd been taking, caught taking drugs. She'd been self-harming and she tried to commit suicide, which was the kind of height of the crisis that we were in as a family. And um, my parents, uh, she was about to be expelled from and my parents thought that maybe if she came back to live in Bradford for a while, because they were living in the Midlands, that she would be away from her environment and would have a chance at being in a church like ours, which had quite a massive youth kind of theme and a youth group. And they thought she's got more chance of kind of reconnecting with, with her faith if she's in a church like yours. So can she come and live with you? Now, we were about to start a family. That was why we got this house with three bedrooms. We were about to start a whole new season where we would start our perfect little Christian family. 
and having a 15 year old dysfunctional angry teenager in that little picture perfect dream was not part of it that wasn't on my wall of hopes and dreams to have an angry 15 year old who I barely knew by the way she may be my sister but I I'd left home when she was nine so it wasn't, it wasn't like we had a very close relationship. I didn't really know her. I didn't know what happened to her. I knew that she was having difficulties. But you see, I prayed a prayer. I'd heard Nancy Alcorn speak and something inside me had come alive. And I was on this journey of learning what it is to, to move from being an ornament into being a vessel. And something had come alive. And, and I, I prayed and said, God, I want to be involved in helping and reaching young women. If there's any way I can get involved. And all I saw was nameless, faceless young women that I would be a part of helping. No idea how and what it would look like. And I did not know that the first broken girl that I would ever come across would be in my own family. I did not know that. And so when we had this opportunity, our first response was no. <laughs> no. No, thank you. Really? Why? Why would you? Like, no. 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 And then we talked. And then the Holy Spirit said, I thought you said that everything you had was mine. Does that not include your home? And your, and your impression of what your next season is going to look like? Of course, we said yes. When God starts turning your own words on you, you have to say yes. And so we said yes, and she came to live with us for three years, from the age of 15 to 18. And most of what I've learned, I mean, a lot of I've learned since, but the, my first lessons in brokenness and how to relate to girls from where they're at and what they've been through came through in those three years. We found out, I found out when she told me, and I was the first person she told, was that when she was 12, she had be, she'd been going about her daily business and going to school when she met a guy outside her school playgrounds who was in his late 20s who had met her and about three or four of her friends. He had a nice flashy car, good guy, you know, showed an interest in them and he groomed each and every one of them. And within three and four months, he was sleeping with them all. He had them on drugs and he was gradually moving them out of school and away from their parents and undermining any positive influence in their life at all. Um, and so for three years she'd been abused by this man and, and as a Christian girl as a girl brought up in a Christian home for, from being born being told that God is her provider is her uh, protector is her rock is her refuge to be told all of that only to then discover when you're 12 that there are evil things in the world and God did not step in and God did not protect her that became a massive issue for her and so she actually ended up going to Mercy Ministries in America because this was before we had the home in the UK. She was the first girl from the United Kingdom to go to the States and do the program over there. She was there for eight months. She um, completely, her whole world, she was given permission to be angry at God. She was given permission to just work through those kind of issues. Like, as a, like most of the girls at Mercy come from Christian backgrounds and, and it, they need to have a place where they can make sense of what they've been through in partnership with where, where was God then? Like how do, I, how do I reconnect with a God who I feel like has let me down? And so that is what she went through and had an incredible revelation. She came back, got married, she's now got two babies and she's the program director at Mercy UK. Uh, so that, for me, I would never, I know for a fact that I would never be standing here t- telling you this 
And my sister would not be heading up Mercy Ministries in the UK if it hadn't been for me saying yes to one question. Will you have her come and live with you? And we don't, and having to put aside comfort and put aside my own image of what my life should look like and I'd want it to look like and put all of that aside and go, God, when we say we're a vessel, we don't get to choose what you put in it. Your cup that you get out on a, on a Saturday morning to put your cup of tea in doesn't complain when you put coffee in it. It just takes whatever you put in it. That's what a vessel does. You just, it, God will put in you and will put through you what he chooses. And, and, and it's so much simpler just to say to God, your will be done. Even Jesus had to make that choice. Even Jesus had to, before he went on the cross, lay aside his choice for God's. Not my will, but you'll be done. And he said, God, is there any way? Is there any way where I don't have to do this? Is there any other plan? Do you have a plan B, God? Because I'd rather not be the one. I, I don't, like, that he had to make that choice. Do I want to be an ornament? Do I want to be a prophet, a good man who lived on earth once? Or am I going to be everything that God called me to be, which was his son and the redeemer of mankind? And he had to make the same choice. He is human in every way. Do I, am I going to be an ornament or am I going to be a vessel? And for Jesus, being a vessel meant he had to say, not my will, but yours be done. And it took him to the cross. And, it took, and on the other side of his choice was humanity. And on the other side of our choices every day are people. Again and again and again. It's always about people. You know, I, I love in 2 Corinthians, it says, If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with ours. We can't get caught up in our inadequacies. I've already said it this morning. You know, Mother Teresa, I love Mother Teresa. Oh my goodness, talk about a vessel. Talk about someone who laid their life down for the purposes of God. She said, I'm only a pencil in God's hand. God writes through us. And however imperfect an instrument we are, God writes a beautiful story. Isn't that, those words are just so special. You know, I love, we are just a pencil. We're just a vessel. We're just something that God can pick up. Our lives are something that God can pick up if we let him, and he will write something with it. Our job is just to let him do that. You know, and I think one of the things that I've learned over the years of that being, being that pencil is that you have to allow yourself to get put in that pencil sharpener and get the edges smoothed and sharpened. You know, it's like exactly what I spoke about this morning with the masks. You have to be prepared to get those, to let God take those edges off, to keep you sharp, to keep you able to keep writing. And it looks a bit like, ouch. It's a bit, I, I can't imagine the pencil particularly looks forward to her, its time in the pencil sharpener. It's a very sharp knife in there and it gets turned around and bits get taken off. However, it's the only way it ever stays useful. Can you imagine if the pencil went, no thank you, it hurts in there? It, it, would, it would never be used again. And that is exactly what we do. Every time we say no to God taking us into an area that we are uncomfortable with, every time we say no, we limit what God is able to do. Not because he doesn't want to, not because we failed, it's because God respects our choice. It's our choice. 
You know, and the, I, I think the, probably the, the most precious thing about becoming a vessel for God is that you experience a level of intimacy with Him that is otherwise impossible. Because you see the thing about a vessel, about a pencil, is that it's held. There's a, there's a closeness with the person who's using it. So for God to use your life like a pencil, he has to pick it up. He has to bring it close to himself. And you will find in your times of being so far out of your comfort zone, so far, far out and past your sense of inadequacy and failure and what people think, when you go past all of that, you find you're left with just him. You find you're left with just him to trust, just him to rely on. And it's an incredible place to live. You see, as an ornament, he will still love you. We all love our ornaments in our house. We look at them, we polish them down. If they fall off the edge, we'll catch them and dust them off and put them back again. And that is the kind of relationship that God will have with us if that's what we want. He will adore us from a distance. He will admire us. He will shout encouragement to us. He will catch us should we fall. And he'll dust us off and he'll put us back again. But there is nothing quite like being held. Like when you transition, when you say, I don't want to be on that shelf anymore, God. I love that you love me, but use me. I'd rather you use me. I'd rather you do something with my life. If we can, if we can cultivate that kind of attitude in our hearts, it delights God. It delights the Holy Spirit because that is what we're here to do. We're here to make a difference. We are all he has. He has set it in his unfathomable wisdom that he would change this world through his people and that is you and me in all our ordinariness in all our weakness in all our failure in all us messing it up again and getting frustrated with ourselves right there is when God will meet you because he needs you to make a difference to those out there who don't even know he exists who don't even believe that they're worth saving, who don't even know that there is a God who had planned from the start of time to be in relationship with them. There are people dying and there are people who are cutting themselves and there are people who are trapped in slavery. There are people who wish they could die but they can't even have the courage to end their own life. There are people who are living in hell every day. And we, God, we are it. We are it. This is our time on earth. This is our turn. And we have to be that army rising. And it doesn't look like singing a song, an army rising. It doesn't look like that. It looks like us doing something with our life, our everyday ornery life. And that's what I'm going to end with, this scripture in Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Don't become an ornament. Don't become someone who just lets it all pass by. I added those bits. (laughs) That you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. He will change you from being an ornament into being a vessel. I added that too. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's end there. Let's stand together.
I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to close with a DVD. Father, I just pray for us in this room today. Lord, I pray that you would activate us. From, even from the ones who are already so caught up in your purposes, so sold out for your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would stretch us all. Increase our capacity wherever we're at. From, from the least in the room who would even just go and say hello to a neighbour. To those who are, have books in their heart that haven't been written yet because they're scared. For those who, who've got all sorts of hopes and dreams. Lord, I pray just a total blessing on each one of those. I pray, Father, that you would, would draw close today. That you would whisper encouragement. That they would become people who leave behind the crowd. Who step out of the boat and find the miracle right there. For as long as they fix their eyes on you, that the waves would become solid under their feet. In Jesus' name, that whatever the circumstances are that we're facing in this room, that you would be the focus. That you would call us higher. That you would increase our capacity. That you would increase our influence. So that we can leave this earth leaving a mark for you. In Jesus' name, our heart is to stand before you and hear your words, good and faithful servant. We want to be your servants, Lord. And Lord, we disconnect ourselves from the people-pleasing. We disconnect ourselves from the longing to have a comfort zone. We disconnect ourselves from the feeling of not wanting to sacrifice that which seems precious to us. But Lord, we embrace your call on our life. We embrace the call to dig in deep with you, to read your word, to build a life that feeds others. In Jesus' name. Amen. People often ask me, how do we finance mercy? Because we don't take government funding, because we don't, uh, you know, don't qualify for a lot of other grants that are made available to places because of the faith-based element. The answer is from people like you. £10, £15, £20 a month, over half of our monthly income comes from just everyday, ordinary people. That is, that is why every single one of our regular givers can say they're making a difference because those girls are there, A, because of Jesus, but B, because there's people who care enough to actually part with finances to say, yeah, I'm going to give 15 quid a month into that. And it costs us. You know, we, that's why we call them treasure builders. We call everyone who gives regularly to us treasure builders because they give out of their treasure to build treasure in other people. That's why we call them treasure builders. And that's why it, it, there is sacrifice involved. But if everybody can do a little bit, we can make a massive difference. It's, we don't survive by, lots, by a few people giving us big sums. We have the odd one or two people who might give us lump sums of money. But we couldn't, we couldn't exist if we relied on the one or the two. We have to rely on the crowd. We have to rely on everybody who's prepared to give their lunchbox, their fish and loaves, and go, it's only 10 quid a month. I don't think it's going to make any difference. But if, hey, you can do something with it, and we do. Every single penny makes a massive difference to us. So if you would like to become a regular giver, become one of our treasure builders, tick the box that says, I would like to become a regular financial partner. And I will promise you, one of the girls on our team will call you. Probably on Monday. (laughs) 
So we'll call you, we'll get in touch with you, and then we can take, over the phone we can set all that up. So that would be awesome. And thank you so much for having me. I've had a brilliant time, and I hope I get to come back one day. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Women's Conference 2012. Please feel free to listen to the other sessions.